Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. Earlier this week, the Senate passed a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package. It is a sweeping piece of legislation that has already made history for its inclusivity. This bill includes hundreds of billions of dollars for water, for transportation, and for broadband infrastructure, all of which desperately need updating here in the state of Michigan and, of course, all over the country. Later in the hour, I'm going to talk with a climate infrastructure expert about how this money could make a real difference in combating the intensifying weather patterns we're experiencing here in Michigan. And then congressional members Debbie Dingell and Fred Upton, a Democrat and a Republican, are going to join me to talk about the bipartisan aspect of this legislative plan. But first, before we get to all of that, I actually want to say something about what we've been experiencing this summer here in Michigan, and we've all experienced it again this week. These really intense storms that bring a lot of water from the sky very quickly and overwhelm the infrastructure that we have to deal with stormwater. People's basements back up, uh, power goes out because of downed limbs. Uh, I mean, it, it really is an overwhelming situation. And it has happened now, by my count, about four times this summer that we've been surprised by the consequences of these kinds of storms. We've been talking a lot about what to do, how to change our approach to the climate itself, but also our approach to maintaining and building infrastructure. Uh, and there's been a lot of ideas put out there. There have been some discussions that have taken place about how we might do this. But there's something that I think is really missing from this conversation. And I want to throw this out there. Who is the person in our community? Who is the leader in our community who can step forward and say, this is ridiculous. We don't have to live this way. We can change a lot of things about this community that would make this less likely to happen and make it less likely to be as devastating when it does happen. Think for a second about who that might be. Is it the mayor of the city of Detroit? Is it the county executive of Wayne or Oakland or Macomb? Is it the governor? I don't know who we should be looking to. And I think that speaks not just to the crisis that we face, but the context of that crisis. Is there someone who could step forward and say, here's the plan to make this better, and here are the sacrifices that I need Michiganders to make to make it happen, and that, hey, people would say, yeah, uh, th that's a sacrifice, but I'm in. I want this to stop. I've had enough. I don't know who that leader is, and I'm not sure any of us do. And so as we go forward and get some of this money from the federal infrastructure package, which no doubt is going to make a difference, as we continue to fret every time storm clouds gather on the horizon about what might happen to us, I think we ought to be talking about 
leadership. Who are the leaders who could make this better? Who are the leaders who could rally us together to make this better? I don't know who it is. I'm not sure if you do. But I certainly know that we won't get anywhere. We will not move forward on this until we can identify that. So again, we're going to talk infrastructure all day today, and I want to start with someone who's been following the developments around this infrastructure bill in Washington and who says that, quote, the president is not going to be able to celebrate the Senate's bipartisan passage of this infrastructure bill until Democrats deliver the rest of his economic agenda this fall. Russell Berman is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where he covers politics, and he joins us now. Russell, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the basics. Break down what is in this $1.2 trillion package. Well, it's a lot. It's, uh, it's roads. It's money for roads, bridges, rail, water infrastructure, as you mentioned, um, money to address in different ways, although not as much as Democrats wanted, climate change. Um, it will you know, affect pretty much every community in America in some way, although you know people uh, might not uh, see it directly. Um, but this is, you know, infrastructure is the kind of thing that people have been talking about as a potential bipartisan issue for a long time. And every community has needs. And, you know, many of them are going to be met in some way by this bill. Of course, you know, it's a compromise. Uh, and so it, it may not meet them as much as, you uh, you know, people wanted, but it's certainly the biggest bipartisan infrastructure bill we've seen in, in many years. So I, I want to put it in a little context uh, that maybe will help people understand how big this is and perhaps how different it might be. But at the dawn of the Obama administration, one of the methods that uh, the president trotted out as a way to get the economy back going was investment in infrastructure. Uh, and I, I can remember quite clearly uh, the phrase shovel-ready projects uh, that, that got uh, very popular during that discussion. He said, we've got all these shovel-ready projects. I'm going to dump a lot of money into them. We'll get the economy going, but we'll also see the benefits of reinvesting uh, in our infrastructure. I wonder if you can compare what uh, what what is happening today around these current bills with that effort, which I, I have to say in the end uh, was pretty roundly mocked for uh, not being terribly effective uh, at, at fixing infrastructure. I think a lot of people think it wasted, quote unquote, uh, a lot of money. Uh, compare that, though, to what we're what we're thinking about here. Well, the big difference is that nobody is really promising shovel ready projects. And that's a key key. Uh, point because that's what got Republicans uh, on board in in a certain respect. This money, this is a medium to long term uh, investment over the next eight or ten years is when the money will go out. Republicans didn't want uh, an, an immediate infusion of money because they argue that we're already seeing inflation in part because of how much uh, money the federal government has in, has injected into the economy with the various COVID relief packages that have been, uh, you know, totaling several trillion dollars over the last two years. And so there certainly were lessons learned from the shovel-ready 
promises of the stimulus package uh, a decade ago, more than a decade ago now. One, there weren't a lot of uh, as many shovel-ready projects um, as as were promised, and also the stimulus package, which you know was credited with preventing. Uh, you know, Republicans opposed it, and and it, it was hard to to see it because it basically prevented an even deeper economic dive, which is hard to. Okay, I think we have lost Russell Berman, at least for uh, the time being. Um, well, let's get going on the phones here. Uh, let's talk about infrastructure. Let's talk about. Uh, this bill in Washington and uh, what it may bring to uh, the state of Michigan with regard to uh, infrastructure. Also, I would love to hear from you, our listeners, about that initial question that I asked when we started the show today about leadership. Leadership here in Southeast Michigan, leadership here in the state of Michigan. Who is the leader who should be stepping forward to talk about how we do better, how we do this differently. Who's the person that you're looking to to give us some answers about when this all might stop, when we might stop fearing the fact that it is going to rain? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We do have Russell Berman back with us from uh, the Atlantic. Russell, uh, you were talking about the distinctions between this infrastructure bill and the one about a decade ago that uh, that was uh, passed at the dawn of the Obama administration. Right. Well, one of the big other complaints about that bill is that it, it while it, it, it injected a lot of money into the economy, not not a lot of it was actual infrastructure. And so that became that informed uh, the debate this time around where re- Republicans were really insisting this has to be about hard infrastructure roads, as we said, roads, rail, bridges, airports, water, and then, of course, uh, broadband, which was something that was less discussed more than a decade ago, but it's a big issue now. And so that's, that, that's a, a big difference between the two bills. This, this one is going to be over a longer period of time uh, and, and less shovel-ready, um, uh, or at least that's the promise, um, compared to the 2009 bill. And it also is being unveiled in the context of this narrative of a return to, quote, big government that we've been hearing about since uh, President Biden uh, took office. Do you see this as fitting in that? I mean, this is a very large package. As you point out, it's over years uh, of time that it'll be spent. Is this, is this kind of a signature uh, of the Biden approach? It is. I mean, the Biden approach is very much, um, uh, you know, a, a reversal of the trends that we had seen for the last uh, 30 or 40 years, obviously, starting with Ronald Reagan. Uh, the, you know, the federal government is here to help. And that's, you know, the, the joke uh, that, that nobody wants to hear. And then Bill Clinton saying the era of big government is over now about 25 years ago, but almost 30 years ago, actually. Uh, but the, you know, for Biden is taking advantage of a moment where because of the Trump administration and because the, the under Trump 
the Republican obsession with cutting spending uh, and deficits uh, basically disappeared because Donald Trump was not that type of Republican. He proposed infrastructure. Uh, Republicans were, you know, ready to work with him on infrastructure. Democrats were, too, but, you know, they couldn't work together. Um, the difference is that infrastructure has always been agreed between the two parties as a core function of the federal government. Where we're going to see the really big divide is on this next package that the Democrats are proposing, uh, the $3.5 trillion uh, budget package, which is, you know, human infrastructure, as they've now uh, described it. And that's where you're going to see the, the debate over big government uh, really engage, because that's going to be the bet that Biden is making that at least the Democratic Party and maybe even independent voters and some Republican voters are going to now support this dramatic expansion in the role of the federal government uh, to provide a safety net, um, uh, you know, for the people. Again, 313-577-10919 is the number here on the phones. Uh, call, tell us what you think about the infrastructure package that uh, was signed by or passed by the U.S. Senate this week. Also call and tell us uh, what's going on in your world, in this uh, community. So many people today still without power uh, due to the recent storms. I think we're close to a million people uh, who lost power during this recent uh, bad weather, uh, all kinds of streets that I've seen throughout the community that are still flooded. Uh, I know I'm hearing from people again about floods in their basements. Uh, call, tell us what's going on uh, where you live, but also call and tell us who you're looking to at this point for some leadership, somebody who can uh, outline a, a, a different approach to all of this. Uh, what do we need to do to upgrade the water system, which we've been talking about for 20 or 25 years here in Southeast Michigan. We've never done it. We've never raised the kind of money that we need to do that. Who's the person who could rally us to doing something about this, to making sure that so many people uh, don't cower when they see storm clouds forming overhead? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I, I want to ask um, I want to ask Russell about uh, something you recently wrote. Uh, you wrote about the fact that while Mitch McConnell signed on, to this bill, it's important to look at the other side of the aisle, specifically the Democrats. You wrote that, quote, whether that infrastructure bill ever makes it to Biden's desk now depends on the outcome of a negotiation that may prove tricky, unifying the sniping factions of the Democratic Party. What is the Democratic sniping you're talking about? Well, the infrastructure bill passed the Senate, but it's basically a legislative hostage at this point because progressive Democrats, especially both in the Senate, but more so in the House, have said, we're not going to vote for this bipartisan bill uh, until the Senate passes this much larger package that I referenced, the $3.5 trillion uh, budget bill that represents the rest of, of President Biden uh, and the Democratic Party's agenda for this year. And that's important because there are enough progressives in the House where they could take down this infrastructure bill. Um, but it gets more complicated from there. 
because the moderates in the House, there are fewer of them, but they're still important. Uh, they are threatening to uh, withhold their support for the budget bill, the Democratic-only bill, until Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, puts the bipartisan infrastructure bill on the floor. So, so right now there is this um, staring contest, if you will, between the moderates in the House and the progressives. And this, is, this was always the risk of Biden's uh, sort of dual-track, all-or-nothing strategy. He, you know, he could have chosen to either go with the, with the big Democrat-only party-line package, um, or he could have chosen to go only the bipartisan route. But instead, he's tried to do both and basically tying them together. Hmm. Um, and so he's gotten a big victory uh, with the passage through the Senate of this bipartisan infrastructure bill, but it's not it's not done yet. It's not on his desk for a signature. And now it depends on, frankly, the negotiations over this uh, this bigger package. Yeah, uh, I want to get to a, a call quickly here uh, before we have to break. Uh, Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. One of the things I wanted to ask about is I've been driving around. I look at the catch basins for, um, you know, rainwater. And they seem to be clogged with trash, uh, empty water bottles. And I wonder, one, uh, where's the road commission? If they're not shoveling snow, who cleans that out? And is that going to have an impact um, related to flooding? Hmm. Uh, it's a great question, uh, Bernadette. And, and actually... In our next segment, we're going to talk with Beth Gibbons, who's executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. I think she's probably uh, really well suited to, to answer that question. So actually, I'm going to ask you to hang on the line uh, until we get to Beth and we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back into the conversation uh, to talk with her about that question. It's, it's one of the many questions, I think. Uh, that, that are swirling around uh, in, here in southeast Michigan right now as we try to clean up yet again uh, from, from all these storms. Uh, Russell Berman, before I let you go, uh, I, I, I want to get a prediction from you about how this shakes out. Will this actually come together uh, given the, the, the schism that exists inside the Democratic Party? I, I, I hesitate to make any prediction, but I would say it's more likely than not because the Democrats would face such a it would be such a blow if they got nothing out of this. If basically the party, uh, you know, erupted in, uh, in in fighting and both the infrastructure bill and this larger package, which are, as I said, tied together, went down. I think it's in everybody's interest in the Democratic Party to to get both of these bills through. And so I think it's more likely than not that they will ultimately uh, pass. But I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of drama uh, between now and then, and it could be several months um, b- before they do. Mm. Okay, uh, Russell Berman of The Atlantic. Great to have you here with us for the conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at what the infrastructure package could mean for climate infrastructure upgrades right here in Michigan. We're going to get back to Bernadette in Old Redford, uh, who had a really specific question about infrastructure here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, We also want to hear from you. What do you think about the mess that we are living with right now? All of the water that uh, is in people's basements and in the streets, all of the power that is out across Southeast Michigan. 
every time it rains, I feel like uh, we, we face disaster. How can we do it differently? Who can lead us to something different? Call and talk to us about it. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined. We've been discussing the implications of the Senate passing a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill earlier this week, and now I want to focus on what the package means for Michigan, and specifically our climate infrastructure here, which has been hit hard by increasingly erratic and extreme weather events this summer. The package has allotted $1 billion to the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, a program that was spearheaded by Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow, which would restore the region's ecosystem. But as we're seeing an increase of climate change-related disasters here in Detroit and all over the rest of the Great Lakes this summer, how can we use this funding to adapt our very poor climate infrastructure when we're already struggling with trying to anticipate and respond to the severity of what we will be facing in the future. Joining me now to talk more about this is Beth Givens. She is Executive Director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Beth, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm honored to be back. Yeah. So last time you were on the show was right before we experienced the most severe flooding in Detroit, uh, we had terrible, terrible storms. Uh, I think maybe the next week after you were on the show, and of course we just yeah, I think had, it was that weekend. Yeah, we just had more flooding as well in the last few days, and there are so many people who now I think are just afraid about the weather. They every time storm clouds form. Uh, they're worried about what's going to happen to them and their belongings, what's going to happen uh, to their houses. So I, I, I wonder how this has affected your work at the American Society of Adaptation Professionals, but also your outlook uh, in terms of what we're facing and what, what we need to do and how urgently, I suppose, we need to be acting. Well, I think what it's done is the storms that are happening here in southeast Michigan have been the most close and acute feeling that we've had of the way climate change is impacting our lives. But there's a similar story and unfortunate impacts that are happening across the country and really around the world for people this summer. It has been a horrendous season of climate impacts wherever you look. And for me, what this has been driving home is a question of how do we break the disaster cycle? Because right now, the way that we're addressing climate impacts is really taking them as one-off events, trying to clean up and put back things the way that they were. 
And we know that that approach is reaching the end of its useful life. We have to be thinking about what is climate change adaptation actually look like? What does resilience actually mean for a community in changing conditions? And so for me, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk with folks like you, quite a lot of media, but I'm also involved in conversations now with FEMA and with other agencies about what does it mean for us to be thinking about breaking this cycle so mm-hmm. that we aren't just cowering at the, you know, at the formation of storm clouds. And we're actually thinking about moving beyond event to event recovery into Mm. something that is going to move us um, into a place where we feel more secure and we can really get on with our lives um, as we need to be able to live, work and play in our communities because we have infrastructure that's serving us well. Yeah. So, so I have thought for a long time that one of the biggest challenges we have is that we don't spend enough money on the infrastructure that we have, upgrading it, keeping it current, uh, building for the future, and that that's what holds leadership back from discussing those things, right? They don't want to talk about raising taxes, raising the bill for water, raising fees, the kind of things that uh, that would make it possible. To, to do better with that. Now along comes this $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, though, from Washington. So I, I, I wonder if you can talk a little about how much that will make a difference in this conversation about these crazy storms and, and the crazy consequences, uh, but also whether it gives us a bit of relief from the conversation about raising money locally to deal with, uh, with infrastructure. Well, I I hesitate to say it's going to give us a lot of relief, but I think it's going to really be a shot in the arm for us to be able to think about the challenges which we're already facing. A lot of what's in this infrastructure bill, especially, and I can get into some of the details around the GLRI dollars and other areas of this bill that I think will be really meaningful for our region, Um, But these are dollars which are going to address existing challenges which we're facing on contamination, toxins, lead pipes, um, insufficient water infrastructure for stormwater, drinking water, etc. We are still going to need an investment in the leadership at the regional and the local level. So I'm I'm not going to let them off the hook that easily (laughs) Um, because what you said, Stephen, is something that I believe really truly to be the case is that I often say we have a crisis of the public good and that we're not investing in our infrastructure in the same way we don't invest in our schools and we don't invest in our healthcare. Um, And so until we really grapple with that and we decide that we're going to be investing significantly from all levels in the public, in the well-being of people, Um, It's going to be very hard for us to be able to have the places that we want in the in the things that we want in our lives. So Mm. I just kind of I I really I appreciate the the frame that you gave that that it requires more investment up and down the line. Mm. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was going to go into some of the breakdown of what's in the bill. Sure. Um, Yeah. No, that would be great. So when we look at this bill, as you said, there's $1 billion for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, and GLRI is one of the most remarkable pieces of authorization that comes out um, of, of the Congress. It's always bipartisan, and in this case, um, GLRI, this 
piece of legislation or this piece of um, funding in it was really led by Debbie Stabenow and uh, Debbie Dingell, and they were leading them in partnership with their other um, in the Senate with Senator Portman from Ohio and in the House with Senator Castor from um, from Illinois. And when we look at GLRI, we see it as a program that was established in the 2000s, and it really focuses on what are called areas of concern. So these are areas within the Great Lakes region which are highly impacted. And the goal for GLRI is primarily to be recovering these areas and getting them out of a state of concern, removing toxins, decontaminating, and getting these spaces to be usable again. And so the the majority of the funding that we see from the GLRI line of the infrastructure bill is really targeted to areas of concern, of which Detroit is one, Detroit River is one. And so we're going to see significant investment um, in, in the restoration of the Detroit River through the GLRI funding. There's also other dollars there that go into shoreline erosion. There's funding for green infrastructure. And there's also good funding in there for what we call um, GLOSS, the Great Lakes Observing System, as well as the coastal resilience. Um, And so I'd say the majority of it is really spoken funding for specific regions of uh, of the Great Lakes already. But then there are some dollars that we can imagine how are they going to come into play as we actually think about resilience and adaptation for the future. Mm. I'm talking with Beth Gibbons, Executive Director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. We're talking about the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package that passed the U.S. Senate this week on its way, we hope, to President Biden's desk for signature and implementation across the country. We're also talking specifically about what that could mean for climate infrastructure upgrades here in Michigan. Think of how urgently We are now talking about infrastructure upgrades uh, here in Michigan. Uh, Six months ago, were any of us thinking about that? If if I said the word infrastructure here on our show, I always imagine that uh, people's eyes kind of glaze over because it's something we just kind of talk about and drone on about, not something that feels that urgent. But as people are bailing water out of their basements, uh, wading through water in the streets, Uh, Living without power, I think uh, there's no question that the idea of infrastructure, the urgency of infrastructure, is much, much clearer in our lives. We want to hear from you about what's going on with you this week. Uh, What does it look like in your neighborhood, in your house, after this recent round of really violent storms? Uh, But also, uh, I'm putting a question out there about how we get to a better place and who leads us there. I really have been struggling with the idea of what leadership exists to have us really think differently about this, to have us really confront the disinvestment in infrastructure that has defined this region for so long and to say, we've got to do it differently. Who could rally us in that cause? Who could get us to think differently about the way we invest in these things? Give us a call at 313-577-1019 to let us know what you think about what the future should look like or could look like. Uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Beth, I want to go back to a caller that we had earlier today uh, who 
was uh, asking a, a pretty specific question about things that she is seeing uh, in in her community, Bernadette in uh, Old Redford, uh, repeat the, the 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 thing that you were talking about uh, earlier in the program. Sure. My question is: As I have been driving around uh, during the storm, let's take Eight Mile. Eight Mile had these huge ponds. That is a major artery, and all of the catch basins seem to be clogged with litter. So my question is: Would if we had clearer storm drains, would that make a difference in surface flooding? And what I didn't ask is, once we get the money, who is going to do the work? We can't continue to have the lowest bidder, because if you have go for the lowest bid uh, in a couple years, you're right back where you started. Hmm. Uh, Bernadette. Uh, absolutely appreciate you uh, hanging on uh, <laughs> until we had Beth Gibbons with us, but also appreciate uh, your question. Uh, Beth, address what Bernadette's talking about here. Yeah, I mean, Bernadette, I mean, we're talking about who needs to be leaders, and I think that your comment is spot on, and what you're asking is is a perfect observation of Sometimes what we need to do is really obvious. Getting storm drains cleared is critical. Um, and so we need to be getting these storm drains cleared so that they can operate effectively. Some of that can be done through volunteer programs. You often see these adopted drain programs that get rolled out. But we definitely need to make sure that our drains are clear of garbage, clear of debris, so that the system has the opportunity to operate the way that it should. Um, and then to your point about always accepting the lowest bidder, um, you know, this is a challenge that we face. And I would say in the work that I do around climate adaptation and resilience, many of the members of our organization are for-profit service providers. And they are sometimes challenged to be able to provide service at the lowest bid because they're trying to bring in new data, they're trying to bring in new techniques, they're trying to bring in some innovation and those innovative approaches, new data, new, new technologies don't always come in at the lowest bid. And so it can be really hard to get, um, to get new information technology approaches through RFP processes. And this is something that we hear our members really wanting us to help with to do some RFP coaching to see how we can just raise the floor in general of what's expected from consultants and contractors so that service as a whole is being held to a higher standard. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to George in Gross Point Park. George, welcome to the program. Hello. Good Hi. to be here. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the floods of uh, late June, and it wasn't so much the the flooding that did the damage in my basement, even though on my corner a police cruiser was abandoned because the water was so high. It was the sewage backup. And uh, so I contacted FEMA, and they wound up being absolutely no help at all. The way that they operate is I guess that they can come into your home. So it's going to be real hard to uh, assess how much damage is done in a basement. Mm -hmm. And then they dispute it. My uh, claim that two and a half feet uh, of sewage was backed up, they said it was only 15 inches, based on what I have no idea at all. And uh, the uh, workers down in my basement uh, backed up my claim. But anyway, FEMA had 
uh, two reasons for not giving me any relief at all. Number one, it was that I had some home insurance, even though it only covered maybe a quarter of what I lost, mm-hmm. and uh, also that I wasn't homeless. Uh, we didn't have to move out of the house, although I think that, you know, the basement problem uh, exacerbated my wife's uh, asthma condition. So that's mm. just how FEMA works, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, George, I'm really sorry for all the all the trouble that you're having and i think it's a story that's pretty common right now across metro detroit and and again it raises the question about uh, what we need to do to get to a to a better place so this doesn't keep keep happening the way it has been uh, george i really appreciate the call uh and sharing your experience let's go to nathaniel in madison heights nathaniel welcome to the show yeah, hi there. I've got a two-parter. Um, first off, uh, looking at my own backyard as a microcosm, I'm curious if, if warmer summers and longer growing seasons translate to more tree growth that needs more trimming to keep up with it. Um, and the second part is if, if that's the case, um, you know, and assuming DTE hasn't been ramping up their crew hours per year to keep up with that, uh, how much of that is on them to, to scale that up uh, kind of on their own versus how much of that is the role of, of regulators like the MPSC uh, to to impose requirements for, for quality of service. Hmm. Uh, great question, Nathaniel. Uh, Beth Gibbons to uh, address that. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that you're right that we can expect to see the tree canopy changing. It's a under um, under-reported on and under-prepared for change from our climate conditions. Uh, I can't speak to how DTE should be regulated for that. I do. I doubt that they are taking steps to update their tree canopy management approach given changing climate conditions. But I think that you know when we talk about what's happening in a changing climate using your own backyard as a gauge, you know, year to year, what's happening and how is it different is, um, is, a, reasonable, is a reasonable way to go about that. So what you're seeing there um, in your place where it's warmer, things are growing differently, you might even be seeing some different things that are starting to grow that is likely to be occurring across other areas as well. Um, and so yeah, I appreciate your observation and I think that that's a really great point to be raising to DTE and to other entities which are, you know, responsible for these kinds of natural infrastructure pieces yeah. in our community. Yeah. Okay. Beth Gibbons of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals, great to have you here with us again on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining the program. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being thanks for having me here. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, two congressional members from Michigan, one Democrat, one Republican, are going to talk about the bipartisan support that exists around this infrastructure package. Debbie Dingell and Fred Upton join us next. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.